future human visionaries. What tomorrow knows today. Produced in association with the V&A. Welcome to Visionaries, a podcast dedicated to futurological thinkers. We seek out people who are reimagining innovation in their field and ask them to apply their intelligence to emerging trends. Wouter Vantisvout is the founder of the Crimson Architectural Historians Collective and works at the Technical University at Delft in the Netherlands. Rather than operate in an academic context, Crimson Collective apply their expertise to live architectural projects. Wouter describes their work and explains why the discipline of architecture will experience great change in the coming years. What we did with our office is actually we, we, we developed a kind of a, a strange kind of practice that uh, combined sometimes scholarly research into uh, what, what people could understand as architectural historical uh, uh, subjects. We made uh, exhibitions, which is still kind of part of our brief, you could say. Uh, but we also started going into uh, project development. We started to advise cities on how to deal with, for example, their future of the past, their uh, old new towns, old modernist housing estates, uh, uh, etc. And uh, th- that's something that I want to show. The, one of the first really big projects that our office uh, did was uh, we were asked to advise on the uh, transformation, the ongoing transformation of a 50s and 60s new town outside of uh, Rotterdam called Hoogvliet. And uh, this advising uh, kind of got out of hand and in the end we we, we ran the whole thing. Uh, well, it, we ran our own kind of operation within a very large transformation that was already going on. And the transformation basically was the demolition of all the, 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 the social housing in, in this uh, community. And when we w- w- came in, we tried to kind of play an oppositional role to that and at the same time also develop serious uh, projects. And uh, we did that not by being the consultant in his office in Rotterdam and then kind of uh, advising on how that community out there should be developed. We actually moved our office right into uh, Hoogvliet. We, we, we try to look at this place in its most ideal state, with its amazing amounts of fantastic greenery, but always with uh, on the on the horizon these uh, futuristic uh, uh, oil refinery, uh, uh, the fantastic uh, uh, green spaces that the, that Rotterdam could not offer, the the this kind of artificial but quite functioning form of of community that was there in the first 10, 20 years of this existence of this new town which was now at all basically kind of crumbled and we try to reimagine that how ideas of of this kind of urban uh, green this this kind of techno pastoral uh, uh, landscape this idea of community how that could be reimagined or re-enchanted for the future for that we worked actually with a London office called FAT that you might know I think it was one of their first big projects that we uh, asked them to do and uh, uh, out of that came uh, a huge park that, that we built with fat, with a huge uh, a villa, a kind of cultural center. We built uh, a new uh, school, schools, uh, um, new co- new communities. Actually, this is a community of uh, of musicians that all live around a mound in which are buried uh, their uh, their practice spaces, so that they 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 can actually practice their uh, their instruments and play their instruments and teach their instruments 
roads without uh, annoying the neighbors. So we did these kinds of, of projects. And also in, in, in the, the newest generation of new towns that are being planned all over Asia, uh, and, and smart, you call them smart cities or business cities, etc. That, that will that will shape the urban futures of uh, millions of people, uh, these are actually really completely the polar opposite of what the technology was originally made for. Uh, now they are basically very exclusive places where you can escape from the rest of society, uh, escape from the, po from the poor, ex escape uh, from, uh, from other ethnicities. Uh, so uh, they are created as a kind of often expatriate or, or, or for the wealthy they are created as havens. Uh, what we try to shape, to show here is that the, the real uh, avant-garde and I use that word in a not in the not moral sense. Uh, the, the front runners of, of large scale technological urban planning are using a, a, a framework that has, is basically the same as public planners used to use in the 50s, but they are using it to completely different ends. And we can see that there are amazing amounts of new towns being built all over the world, especially in Asia, uh, that are basically well. It, that's our uh, uh, moral, moralistic uh, uh, idea about it, that are actually anti-public and you could even say anti-social. So there's another project that we did, uh, it was on riots. Uh, riots often happen when the people involved absolutely do not feel uh, represented by the futures that are being created for the cities involved. For example, in, in Paris, uh, when the Paris riots happened, architecture did have something to do with it because there was a huge architectural, but not in the way that the critics thought. There was a huge uh, project in, pa in France going on to completely restructure all these uh, modernist housing estates and demolish the, the, the social housing, replace it with, uh, with middle-class housing, etc. Uh, this meant, but p the people actually involved felt that by describing the future of their uh, uh, estates and their communities in such a way as they were sick and ill and they needed amputations and they needed evictions, etc. in order to heal them, this was more or less the, the language being used, they felt so, they, they felt as if they were, be, they were the problem. So they, they felt that well, we are being amputated, we are being evicted. So there's a, there's a huge issue with once architects um, become a part of a kind of official top-down vision that is being made for certain parts of the city and that the people involved or parts of the people involved feel absolutely excluded from that. What we then try to understand is also how these expressions of, of how the city is being understood in pop popular culture, in rap music, art, graphic design, uh, etc., visual arts, they, they were actually pre predicting already uh, the tensions and the aggression living within these communities. Uh, it, I'm, I'm sounding like a trend watcher now, but I think these are three tendencies, trends, that in the future uh, I think architects, but not just architects, but we should uh, address. The first is the idea of uh, democracy. That's the studio, we the people. The idea of democracy is, is both, uh, as you, of course, we, we, we combine Tahrir Square and the Houses of Parliament as, as the old and the new idea of democracy. You can see that, that, that this, this desire for democracy, these movements for democracy can spring up in extremely different ways and often is very much uh, related to architecture 
related to places. The Gezi Park movement in, uh, in, 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 in Taksim Square in, uh, in Istanbul, it was actually uh, uh, triggered by an architectural project uh, by the government. So that is one, that's one tendency, democracy as a kind of surge. The, the second is follow the money, it's the financial industries. We see that uh, the past 20-30 years architecture has become more of a kind of function of the financial industries. Architecture has been, uh, the large-scale architecture was not there to, to fulfill f functional needs but was there to fulfill the need for objects to uh, invest in by the financial industries. So to understand the relation between architecture and the finance is extremely important. And the third one, uh, we want to break free. It is about localism. It is about the idea that the nation state is, is becoming, is crumbling, you could say in Europe at least. On the one hand, there are the, uh, uh, the, uh, the whole agenda of localism, agenda of, of local dem direct democracy, plus the kind of very shady sometimes effect of uh, the Brussels uh, European uh, pseudo-democracy. So to under, and since architecture has always been so much associated with central state, centralized state power, we think that a new definition of, of community, of democracy, uh, etc. needs to be formulated also for architects. This is Future Human Visionaries. Keep listening to find out what tomorrow knows today. Glenn Adamson of the V&A asked how the role of the architect is changing and whether architects might increasingly commission work themselves. I do not think that the build, building as an act, or the building uh, is so, has become so um, irrelevant as you, as you call it. Because, for example, if, if you would look at, at, some, at some of the mo more hopeful uh, uh, futures you might think about, it, it, like a, a, a very radical democratization of, of how uh, the, the, our environment is being shaped. That, that uh, building your own house or uh, being the client of, the of your own house is not something just for the rich but could be something for, for the middle classes, for normal people. That if, if you see that, that people could be involved in, in shaping the way that their towns are being built, their, their, their public places are being uh, designed, then I think there, there can be a huge role of 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 architecture and really architecture in its old-fashioned sense, nearly as a shaper of the built environment. Only I think architecture has 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 because it has its clients have become so institutional, be either uh, institutional in the financial world or institutional in the in the in the in the public sector, but completely institutional. I mean, nobody, uh, hardly anybody, has ever been a client to an architect personally. So, so I think if there's also an, another future that you might imagine, which is not driven by technology and driven by endless flexibilization or virtualization, but one that is driven by much more a, a, a kind of re-embedding of architecture also as a practice in the real world of the majority of people and I, I think that that is in a way I think at least as desirable as a future as the, uh, the kind of virtual. But is utopian architecture valuable? 
Well, I think there's a ver- there's a confusion around the word the word utopia, because of course wh- when it was first proposed and all, it is still used also sometimes in that way is not as a uh, as a thing to work towards. It is a kind of a metaphorical world that is being described in order to uh, to 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 se- tell certain stories about the world that we live in, but not as a project to to work uh, towards. And so that that's the original uh, use of of utopia by Thomas More. And, but but uh, on the other hand, projects have been called utopian uh, once they 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 seem even a little bit you know large scale or technological or big or or weird. I think that utopianism has suffered from inflation. That the 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 last type of utopianism, because it has become so easy to make. You know the the, the I, I I saw somebody the. Saying on Twitter that rend- is rendering bad for architecture, and I think it is. I think it has become so easy to make utopias. <laughs> if you look at the work of of, of Bjarke Ingels or or, or our own uh, uh, proto Bjarke Ingels or uh, MVRDV, it's uh, it's 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 empty. It's it's gone. It's it's nothing. It's it's fluff. The utopias that were being made in the 50s and 60s. Uh, they might have caused some uh, pretty dystopian places or caused, built some, I'm not sure if they caused them, but at least they were driven by, an, by a consciousness or by an ethos that was really connected to a social, social ideas, so political ideas, political movements, welfare state, uh, etc. And so, and so I think that utopianism still has a role to play, both as a metaphorical thing, but also as a kind of driving force when it is really connected to a really ethically formulated political idea. But utopia, it's now it's become a, you know, it's a, it's a style. What responsibility do architects bear in planning more cohesive societies? There's one thing, you know, the loss of the idea of the building type, that you cannot recognize a hospital anymore, or you, you cannot recognize a post office a, anymore, etc., also has something to do with the with a, the kind of very aggressive takeover of, of buildings, but also public services by uh, by uh, privatized markets. You know, you, you know that that uh, right now we, we cannot have a bill uh, have a hospital look like a hospital anymore, uh, bec- because we also want it to look like a shopping mall. So I. I I think there, there's also a, a, a dark side to this uh, uh, to this endless obsession with flexibility and, and change. You know, there's a of course there's a, a, a light side to it. Otherwise, it wouldn't have a dark side. But there's a there is a something also. If we, we we can see it happening all the time, it's already happening that buildings are not what they are. Uh, but but. It's often happening to the worst kinds of buildings that we know. So it's already happening and it's not good. So why do we want more of it? This recording took place at an event convened by the V&A with support from Z33, the Welcome Collection and the Arts and Humanities Research Council. This podcast was produced by Future Human in Dalston, London. For more episodes of the Future Human podcast, visit iTunes or soundcloud.com.